Welcome, uh, everyone. That was my wife, Pam, by the way. Pastor Pam is Pastor Ralph down here. And, and I'm Fred, and I'm glad you get to be a part of us, that um, we are moving forward with what God uh, is, we believe, intentionally wanting to do. We had an awesome time with some of the leadership yesterday talking about what God has in store for us as a congregation and dreaming. We, we've been talking and using this series called Blessed, or blessing that we believe that God wants to bless people. God wants to bless people. There's an active part that we have to play if we want to receive God's blessing. And Jesus, in his most famous sermon, they call it the Sermon on the Mount, he begins his sermon with the people that God blesses. It's called the Beatitudes, which means ultimate blessing. These are the kinds of people God blesses. God blesses the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the way we say, you come empty and you go away full. God blesses those who are mourned, for they will be comforted, or the way we say, I said it is, um, God blesses the broken, for they shall be healed. And last week it was, God blesses uh, the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Fathom that. And the way we phrase it is, God blesses the humble, for they will get great strength to do uh, what they could not do. If you've missed the sermon, you can always check out our website at myneighborhoodchurch.com, uh, and you can pick up one of our previous sermons. Today is Come Hungry, or God Blesses Those Who Are Hungry. And uh, we had a thank you for the great bake sale today to remind us that some of us were hungry as you came today, that, um, that we love our food. I love seafood. I mean, love seafood. I just love it. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, and I love beef too. But I love the seafood out here, and and I love Thai food, and I love Italian food. In fact, I love whatever I'm eating because I don't eat what I don't like. Right? You know, I love it. I love things with sugar. A big cookie from Metro Market. Ice cream sundae down here at Boathouse 19. They have an awesome banana split. My wife and I went there once just for that. And uh, scones fresh out of the oven. Do you have some cravings like that? Today we're going to talk about God blesses the hungry, so I thought it would be just, you know, whet your appetite. How many have, what are some of the things that you crave, the things that you just love to eat? Anybody but Abby, anybody at all. Just kidding, Abby. No, go ahead. Cookie dough, all right, yes. Fruit, fruit loops, all right, yes. Bacon cheese scone with like a, with potato soup. Hmm, interesting. Pam? Chocolate, anybody in the chocolate here? Couple chocolate, atollics, yeah, anything else that you, you crave? A mac and cheese. Mm. Cream puffs. Cream puffs. Sushi. Sushi. Yes. What kind of chicken? Homemade chicken. And is it your homemade chicken that we're all craving right now? <laughs> Somehow it's always better when someone else eats it or makes it for you. Yes. Ooh, fresh strawberries. Did you even have any fresh strawberries this year? Oh, I love them when they come in and you get them from Puyallup and they're red all the way through. Yeah. Yes. Norwegian cheese. A friend of ours that 
Norwegian, so it's awesome to have him here. You know, we all have our cravings. Um, think about the last time you were really, really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> right now, some of you, I've gotten you hungry. Think about the last time you were really, really thirsty. What happens when you don't take care of your hunger? I'm not talking about like I have to have that chocolate. I mean when you really don't take care of your food source. What happens? You could get sick. Yes. You get cranky. What do you mean? Okay. What what are some other ways that if we don't feed ourselves, what we lose your energy. Some of you may have ever caught up in a task and you're just working all day and all of a sudden you forget, I forgot to eat. Um, or if you, if you don't take care of your thirst, if you don't take care of your thirst, what happens? You get dehydrated. Anybody been dehydrated? You know what happens to your body? It doesn't work very well. If any of you ever gone to the, the Grand Canyon, they won't let you go down in the canyon unless you have water with them because they, they don't want to rescue you because they know if you get dehydrated, it could be a very bad thing. Any of you ever had a child come in from being outside and go, I'm starving. Of course, they're not. I'm dying of thirst. It's always a crisis, right? <laughs> Today's scripture is about real hunger and real thirst. Not the, the, the gentle pang you have right before a meal or you think you need a little bit of water, but hunger to the sense so intense that you're just going to die unless you satisfy that. Or thirst that if you don't have it, you're just not going to live. This is the kind of hunger that Jesus is, we're going to talk about today. We all know that our physical appetites are essential, but physical appetites have limits. I know. Sometimes when I've eaten too much, there are consequences. Sometimes when I've eaten the wrong foods or too much sugar, consequences. If I've had too much caffeine, there are consequences. But there is a hunger that God put in each one of you that if you satisfy it, there's no dire consequences at all. It's the words that Jesus said to us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What is righteousness? It's so, in the Bible, so replete everywhere in the Bible. But when we say righteousness, we kind of stumble and go, what exactly does that mean? The word righteousness, the Q is the word at the very beginning, right. It's, it's possessing a sense of rightness, pursuing something that's right. I believe this is essential. This is an appetite. There are other appetites we have. This is an essential appetite. What are other appetites besides physical appetites that we have? Think about it. Other desires that we, we push forward, we need in our lives. Happiness. Pardon? Enjoyment. Peace. Love. Friendship. Pardon? Sleep. Yeah. That's physical. But that's okay. 
Anything that drives us, it's a hunger. We all have these drives for approval and inclusion and forgiveness and love and affection. The righteousness in the Bible is the big deal. It is the thing that we all need if we're going to be Christian at all. It is the thing that is required of us if we want to enter in, into relationship with God. It's called righteousness or being right. If I was going to ask you if you felt righteous, you might halt. Anybody ever hear the word, um, well, he's a righteous dude? Anybody ever hear that? Or that's one righteous car. And in our, that context, we're saying that's really an extreme good thing. And that's similar. But righteousness or rightness is not an obsession about being right. If you have two people in the room and they're both trying to be right, righteousness often doesn't happen. It's not some religious ideal. It's not being perfect. And it's definitely not very understood. The Hebrew and the Greek word for righteousness in the Bible always has something to do with relationship. A good Jew would always want to be righteous. They would try to find in, in their behavior qualifications to make their right for God so they can have a relationship with him. But oftentimes they were trying to prove they were righteous enough for their God to accept them. And they got misconstrued away from actually the God they were trying to, to please. They were looking at the laws and they were looking at the rules to be righteous, but they forgot the reason for righteousness at all. It was a relationship with God. The pursuit of being righteous is not to prove a person is right or good. It's the actual pursuit of it where righteousness happens because the pursuit is on a person. There's a great story that Jesus shares, I think, that demonstrates righteousness. The pursuit of spiritual hunger. We've uh, used this story before. I'm, some of you are very familiar with a, a Samaritan woman who came to Jesus in the middle of the heat of the day looking for satisfying her physical thirst. And Jesus intentionally goes to the place called Samaria to meet her. We'll put the scripture up there and we'll talk about how she sees herself. Do we have it on those screens also? The TV went out. I'll read it for you. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptized and he was making disciples. And John, um, through Jesus himself, didn't baptize them. And his disciples did. He left Judea and he returned to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go through Samaria, it says. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village, Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from his long walk, I'm sure he was thirsty, Wearily sat beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, and you're asking me for a drink. The first thing is, I think Jesus saw her before he ever showed up. He knew how she described herself. I am a Samaritan. You are a Jew. You should not be talking to me. And if any of you are familiar with the scripture, 
Why did she come by herself in the heat of the day to get water? Why did this lone woman come at about 3 o'clock on a very hot day probably to receive water? There was something about her that she was socially isolated. There perhaps was a sense of shame that she couldn't associate with the other women in town because in her own self, she was a Samaritan, but she was a Samaritan woman who had not really lived up to her own standards. So she described herself, I am a Samaritan and you are a Jew and we don't associate. That's the way he, she saw herself. But Jesus takes where she's at and redirects her. He redirects her thinking in verse 11 through 12. He takes and she sees herself as this, and he tries to redirect her to find the true source, I believe, of what she was looking for in life. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep and there. You, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. He redirects her thinking. What did she come for? She come to satisfy her natural physical thirst. And Jesus redirects her. If you knew who was in front of you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. He took her physical need, and he redirected her to her real need. After that, then he goes and he stirs up her real need. And what is her real need? What did she come lacking for? Even though we, uh, humanity, is, we're always compelled by our natural physical desires and our hungers and thirst, what did she really need? Watch what Jesus does with her and the next uh, part of this story. Jesus stirs up her real need. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks of this water will become thirsty again. That's her real need. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling stream within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't come here to get water. He took where she was at and he takes us where we're at and he redirects her and then she, he goes and points out her real need. Something that would really satisfy her. The next thing that Jesus does seems a little alarming. He does something very abrupt. He exposes her. Listen to this. Jesus, he says to her, go and get your husband. Now, this was a very tender part of her life. This is probably why she came to this well at 3 o'clock and maybe had a sense of shame about her. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And she says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. And you have had, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Jesus exposed all of her empty pursuits. She was perhaps going from man to man to man and thinking that somehow a human relationship would satisfy the deep desire of our hearts. 
Some of us in this room know what that's like to think that finding it in a person will satisfy the very hunger of her hearts. And she had had five husbands in that culture, whether we don't know if she was a promiscuous woman, perhaps, or we don't know that she continued needed covering of a man because a man was a sort of provider. Without that, she would have no source of income and she would starve. So she was looking for a man to cover her and protect her, but it left her empty. Then Jesus reveals himself to her. After he opens and exposes herself to what her lacking was, he does this. He says, she says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? While we Samaritans claim it's here at Mark Gerizim, where are our ancestors worship? So this is a worship thing. Jesus said, dear woman, the time is coming when you no longer, it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation has come through the Jews. And the time is coming, indeed now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, oh, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who called is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. What she was looking for was right in front of her. It wasn't a what, it was a who. Everything she is looking for from religion, everything that she was looking for for relationship was right in front of her. It was Jesus himself. Now she goes away satisfied. Jesus satisfies her real need. He points to her what she thought was her need, and he points to her real need. And later on, she goes on and says this to all of the friends in her town. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. So he stayed for two days longer, enough for many to hear the message and believe. Then he said to the then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus read her well, and then he pointed her to her real needs. What is the application for us? You may have read that scripture many times, and you look at the encounter and see, what is Jesus doing? How does it apply to me and my needs, my hungers, my desires? What is Jesus saying to us, to all of us today? The first thing that Jesus does to her, he does to us. We come to him with our needs. We all have our needs. But he redirects us to what our real needs are. One of his followers said, Jesus said to him, you are very concerned about many things, but only one thing is needed. What is that one thing that we all need? It's that pursuit of righteousness to be in right relationship with God. Jesus, later on in the same sermon, said, You are so worried about your food and your clothes. Hey, take a break. You don't need to worry about these. Don't you know you have a heavenly father who will provide for your needs? Then he goes on and he says, 
Hey, a lot of you are worried about money. Anybody worried about money? Yeah, I am too. He said this to those of us who are worried about money. Put me first. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and I will give you everything you need. You all have needs, but the Lord says here to us, whatever your need is, put me first, and I will take care of your needs. When we get into the anxious mode, when I get into the worried mode, oh, why do, why do I worry so much? When I get in, I circumvent his blessing in my life. Even if I get it, I don't see it sometimes. Pam and I were concerned about some needs that we had in our own family this week. We had, a, a, a she said, a very bad, no good day. When everything didn't seem to be going the way we'd like it to go. So I loved it. You know, Pam, she, she, we were praying for, for, for Jessica because she had some things to finish up for college. And she, we wanted her to, like, you know, finish it up and graduate. And I love that Pam laid her hands on transcripts or something, bills, grades, something. So the thing is, show she graduated because there's some things that need to be uh, that need to be uh, taken care of, and she laid her hands on that, and she prayed for that, and God answered that prayer. And you know what? The other things didn't get taken care of that day, but God saw our need and took care of this individual, this dear daughter of ours, because it was more important for him that she, I think, she graduate than it was for all the other things. So this is it. All of us have needs and concerns, but my natural inclination, and I want to slap my hands because of this, my natural inclination is to get so wound up with my own needs that I can't see the God who wants to bless me, and he will provide. Well, I just don't really believe it. Some of you hold back in your worship and your engagement with other people and your giving and your engagement with your family. Because you really don't believe that God's going to take your, your needs, and so you hold back. And I would say to you, go wholeheartedly. You will find more joy and more peace and more of what God wants to bless you when you stop it and you just believe that he's going to take care of you. You just find yourself, you know, I am going to be not anxious. I am not going to be worried. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be a giving person. I'm going to be a caring person. And in that, everything that you need, will be provided. Do you believe that? Jesus redirects us. says, you seek my kingdom and my righteousness. You seek me. I will provide for you. Not everything you want, but everything you need. Some of us here know what that's like. In the past maybe year, you've prayed about things. Maybe in the last five, you've prayed. And you've seen God provide for you. Maybe it's not all perfect, but you've seen him work. And others of you in here, you have some deep needs you're still concerned about. I would say keep seeking him. Keep pushing forward. Keep putting him as a priority. Make the next step of commitment to Jesus. Make that next step, whatever he's calling you to do. Make that next step and see if he won't meet you there. After he redirects us, then he stirs up our real need. There's something within us we all hunger for, but oftentimes we we medicate it or we uh, find it in other things. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But you have to want it. You have to want it. It's an actual, it's an appetite you have to learn. It's a learned appetite. You realize something is missing. 
something that's longing in your heart that you've been trying to replace with all kinds of other things. And then you realize that righteousness or what you really long for is a right relationship with God. He has to do that. You know, it's that God didn't give to us out of his reserves, but he gave to us out of his very core of who he is. Is God the one thing that you desire above all other things? Every other thing's going to change. Do you want just enough of God to get by to help you with your little needs and my little needs that I get concerned of? Or do I really, really want him above all things? Excuse me. Right now, I believe that in me, God is calling me to be wholehearted for him. He's looked at my heart. I prayed about this message and I said, is there anything in me that's resisting you above everything else? And he points some things out and he says, yes. It's interesting. Paul was one of the smartest people in the Bible. This man wanted to be righteous more than probably I do. He was trying to prove to the world that he was righteous by obeying the religious laws. He wanted to have a favor with God by doing everything right. He was zealous for his God. And then he encountered Jesus, and Jesus flipped it all upside down and said, it's not about you proving how righteous you are to me, and then I accept you. It's about a relationship. And listen, listen to what Paul said about living. He, he lived the perfect Jewish life. Listen to what he said about living that way. Hear his passion and how he trashed everything for the one thing. I consider everything a loss because it's the, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, who forsake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. All my outward props to make myself look good, to, to get other people's approval, to show what a good guy I am, to prove I'm, I'm some righteous person. Garbage. If you look it up in the Greek, it's a, it, actually a more graphic word than that. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I believe behind all of our desires, there's another desire, a deeper desire. It's to find, ple it's to find pleasure in God. To enjoy God. That the ultimate thing in my life is to enjoy him. I hope religion, Christianity, isn't a burden to you, but you enjoy him. You take time to be with him. It's about desiring God. We're being invited every moment to be in right relationship with God. But we have to desire it. It's something I go after. It's something I hunger and I thirst for as if it was my very life that needed it. It's not optional. It's not a luxury. It's essential. We don't achieve a righteousness as much as we receive it because no one is really righteous but the God who gives it. Then Jesus does something very startling to us. Once we have a stirring of hunger for him, he does something that we do not expect and he did with this woman. He exposes us. None of us in here want to be exposed for 
the things that we know that aren't quite right in our life. Jesus revealed to this woman that something was missing in her life and she was trying to replace it with something else. Jesus is the one who makes us right. How does he do it? He exposes all of our empty pursuits. All the things we think that are going to satisfy us, but leave us empty. And instead, he makes us right for him. Righteousness in the Bible is interesting. It's likened sometimes to clothing that we wear. If you've come on Wednesday night and we were talking about battling spiritual battles, I encourage you to come. We talked about righteousness is like something you wear. And the righteousness you wear is not yours. It's the one that God gives you. It's like he says, shed your old dirty rags. And let me put on some beautiful, awesome, righteous rags, some righteous threads that you're going to wear. This is yours, and I'm putting it on you. You don't earn it. I give it to you. I love this image. I probably have said it before, but to me it's the best image. If you've seen, uh, read the, one of the Chronicle of Narnia's The Dawn Shredder, and in that there's an, a feisty young man named Eustace. Eustace is a, just a, a really cantankerous little boy, never getting along with anyone, always causing trouble, cynical, harsh. All the people that he was friends with had trouble with Eustace. Eustace was full of himself. Eustace was greedy. At one time he went to an island and he found a huge treasure chest of all kinds of gold. And he wallows in the gold, and he says, he's kind of like, ha-ha to all my friends, look at all the stuff I have. He falls asleep in the gold, and he wakes up, and he notices something's different about him, <clears throat> that all his greed had led him to become a dragon. The dragon isolated him from everyone else. The dragon, he couldn't come and be friends. He went over and tried to be with his friends. They didn't recognize him. They were afraid of him because the dragonness in us is not something pleasant to the rest of us. He was filled with anxiousness, fear, worry. And then the Jesus image in this story is Aslan. And Aslan comes and says, let me undress you, so to speak. I have to take off the outer crusty part of you, the outer part of you that's preventing you from being what I want you to be. And he takes his claws and he slowly strips off dragonness of him over and over again so they're just a new boy and and that's what the lord does with us sometimes and i don't want it i want him to bless me i hunger after him but then he says i have to get you ready because for you to understand a relationship with me to be right with me i have to prepare you i have to do something in you and i have to expose in you all the areas that you're looking for love in all the wrong places all the areas that are not satisfying in your life. And I'm going to ask you to shed those things, those dry, crusty, unsatisfying things. Everyone's looking for something. Some have appetites that are healthy, and some are seeking it in good places, and some are not. In our effort to fill the gaps, what do we do? I can think of maybe a single person, a single man looking for, uh, for someone in his life and he ends up compromising his standards just from keeping alone. Or I can think of maybe a senior citizen who feels isolated from the world. The world is so changing, and they try to fill it, and they don't understand. They don't seem to have any purpose anymore. Oh, God, 
what am I what am I for on this earth? Or a young person who tries to find approval at their school and compromises their standards to be accepted and part of the people of, that they associate with. And then we can think of all the ways that we try to medicate each other to, repli to replicate the, or get rid of the pain in our own heart. Like the woman at the well, we're disappointed in our relationship because right relationship is really what righteousness is all about. Right relationship is everything that we want. We all want to be in good relationship, but then sometimes we get clumsy. You ever get clumsy in relationships? I'm clumsy in relationships. And I mess it up, and I end up running it on empty. But Jesus comes, and he exposes my empty pursuits. And listen to this. Anything that keeps us from our essential appetite for God is unhealthy for us. If you devote yourself to pleasing yourself, you're going to be ending up empty. If you're, you exist just to please others, eventually you'll be disappointed. But if you make God and pleasing God the goal, and that he is the essential appetite for your life, Jesus promises you will be satisfied. Do you want that kind of hunger or that kind of satisfaction in your life? When he exposes us, he doesn't leave us open and bare and naked and, so, and shameful. He comes and he comes and he reveals himself in that moment as he did to this woman. After he exposed that she had been in relationships that were not leading her in the way that she wanted, he then, he said, he revealed to her, himself to her until she said, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior that you've been looking for. Jesus exposes our false pursuits, our clumsy pursuits, and, our, and directs us to our real hunger for God. Both King David and the Apostle Paul, quoting the Old Testament, said this about us. No one's really righteous. No, not one. No one understands or seeks God. We've all turned aside and together become worthless. No one does good, not even one. After Jesus does that, though, then he satisfies us. Right relationship with God is a gift from him. It cost him something. God didn't just take a little reserve extra out of his bank account, so to speak, to help give us his righteousness. It cost him something. He sent his son to die for us because we're not righteous on our own. It cost him the very life of his son so we could have relationship with him because in my own self, I'm not good enough. I can't really become right enough. I'm not really retrofitted well to be in relationship with him. But he does it for me. He gives me his robe of righteousness and says, now. You're ready to have a deep and satisfying relationship with me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You're righteous. You're one righteous dude or dudess today because of what Jesus has done for you. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting in him to make us right. And then he satisfies us. After he goes through the process of redirecting us, pointing us to what really satisfies and stirring something up within us and exposing our false pursuits and showing us who he is, then he comes and he becomes the satisfaction in your life. This is what I long for and I long for each one of you. Whenever you feel like you're coming up short in life, that Jesus comes and fills up that gap. When you feel a disappointment as this woman did, in all of her relationships, and all of the things that were not working in her life, that disappointment can be an appointment for God to satisfy what's missing. 
when you don't find it outside of yourself, when you don't find it in the world, what satisfies you, at that disappointing moment is an appointment from God for him to let, give you kind of a wake-up call and say, I am the one who will satisfy you here. Seek me first. Seek my righteousness first. And I will you believe that I'll satisfy you? God fills a famished life. He fills our lives with himself, full, overjoy, overflowing, more than enough, full, bursting at the seams, jam-packed, abundant, life to the full. That's what God promised us. Jesus said, I'm going to give you life to the full. It's going to be like a geyser coming out of you, full, enough, more than enough. There's an unfathomableness to God in his love. There's, 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 there's no that he's so deep and in his reservoir of love and grace for us is so deep that we can never really fathom all that he's done for us. Those who hunger and thirst will be blessed by God. They will be satisfied. It's a desire to do and live for God. And it becomes the most compelling focus of our life. And it satisfies us. What is Jesus saying? Those who have an all-consuming passion for him will be satisfied. As the message version says it this way about the verse that we've been quoting. You're blessed when you're worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the, and the best meal that you'll ever have. There was a pastor. His name was D.L. Moody, and he had a successful ministry. And someone came up to him and said, well, I'm praying for you. And he said, why are you praying for me? I mean, I've got what I need. Even for pastors, we can get to a point where we go, I've got what I need. What do I need anything else for? He says, well, I've been praying for you. What do I need? And it really started to bother him. It was annoying. Why is this woman praying for me? Something of a hunger stirred up in his life for more of God. Not more of ministry, not more of success, not more of seeing God work through him, but more of God. And he began to seek the Holy Spirit. Remember when we talked about a few weeks, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. He wanted more of the Holy Spirit. And he, 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 he's never, he never described it. It was a very private experience with him and God. But he found that wave over wave of the, of, of the Holy Spirit came into his life and satisfied him at a deep level that as a Christian, even as a pastor, he had not yet experienced. All of us that are Christians want to see God work in and through us. But do we really hunger and thirst for him? From that moment on, not only was his ministry successful, he saw more people transformed in their lives because he had opened himself that God was the most compelling part of his life. It wasn't anything else. That's what God wants for you. There's more for you. That I don't want to come and get to a point where like he was, I'm satisfied. I'm good. And then I fill my lives with other things to replace the one hunger that I really desire. Would you stand with me? Just to ask you one question today before you leave. Are you hungry? And you know that I'm not talking about physical hunger or physical thirst. Are you really hungry for more of God? I believe the Lord wants to bless you. 
I believe he wants to bless you more exceeding than you could ever imagine. You've got to have an appetite for it. You've got to hunger for it. You've got to press in for it. You've got to be part of the process that God led this lady through, and he's leading you through too. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for my friends today. Each of them is precious in your sight. Each of them is, each of them is dear to you. You love them just where they're at. But you know, Lord, you have more for us. I confess sometimes I get preoccupied with the things of this world. And I'm not really seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. I, I don't make you the predominant person in my life. But I, I look at satisfaction in things or people or circumstances. Lord, and I know that if that's true for me, it's probably true for a lot of us in here. But I believe you have more. You have another level of relationship that you want us all to step into. We need to, Lord, to step up. What's that next step you're calling us in relationship with you? And then you will fill that gap. That we won't go away spiritually starved, spiritually thirsty, but we'll go away satisfied. And that, Lord, nothing will be able to replace that deep hunger, that deep thirst that we have for you above all things. May we drink deeply. May we eat fully. And may we be satisfied, Lord. Thank you that you forgive us for our false pursuits. Thank you that you come and reveal yourself in greater ways to us. Before we end prayer, would everyone had, everyone's head bowed. I don't know if this resonated with everyone today, but it maybe resonated with a few that your God has been talking to you. about his your relationship with him this is not about me pastor fred and the church it's about your relation he's calling you he's calling you to a deeper relationship with him and you know that's you 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 heard him speak to you and you hunger for that and you want to press in and you just want me to pray with you right now if that's you just raise your hand real quick up and down you said you know that's me this is what I really want. I hunger for that. I want that. I want that. Anyone else? You've got about five people that raised their hand. Anybody else? That, that's me. Yeah, I see their hands. Okay. I long for more of that. Well, I'll tell you, and I'm honest, I want more of that. I long for more of that. I want more of that. So for my friends, Lord, raise their hands, some Lord, maybe a little shy about it, Lord. You've been stirring up in their heart a, a deeper walk with you a deeper hunger for you i pray lord and there's a requirement to be blessed this way lord we have to have an appetite for it and we have to press into that we have to partake of that that gift as we talked about earlier we have to receive it so lord with all our energy and all of ourselves we're going to pursue you above all things and we will trust that you will satisfy us even with all the distractions in our life we will find lord you are like good drink good food that you that we go away deeply satisfied because your presence is, is in our lives we pray in jesus name